0: So I remind you that as we go into, um, into the Word of God this morning, that we need to understand, and I think C.S. Lewis was absolutely right, that Christianity is a thinking person's religion. And you are not to be passive, but you are to always search the Scriptures, as Acts seventeen eleven says, no matter who preaches it. You need to make sure and think through that. Does that make sense? This morning, I want to talk about a subject matter that all of us, if we've been in church long enough, have always... We've heard a lot of sermons about. We sang about it today, too. I'm reminded that the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, comes from Lamentations chapter 3, from a verse where Jeremiah, before great is thy faithfulness, a few verses before that in Lamentation 3, as he sees Jerusalem up in smoke and the the destruction of Solomon's temple, and everything is falling apart, Israel is captured by Babylon, and he's sitting there going, I'm so bitter that I've got gravel in my mouth, I could chew it like gravel. I don't know if you've ever done, don't do it, but if you chew gravel, that's pretty bitter. He says, I'm so bitter, it's like I've got gravel in my mouth. And then two verses, three verses later, he says, stop, we are not consumed. Great is thy faithfulness. Notice that verse occurs in chapter 3 in the middle of a book called Lamentations. Because even in the midst of darkness, Great is his faithfulness. This morning, I want to talk about forgiveness. And I'm going to talk about it from a variety of different angles. And I know all of us that have been in the church, we have, we've, we've heard this. So here's what I would say. May the Lord give us fresh ears to hear. Because at the heart of it, forgiveness is is something so important that we should be reminded of it on a daily basis. But I would like to start off by reading Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 27. And I know um, Pastor David preached on this a couple of Sundays ago, and here's the thing. There are certain scriptures, all of scripture is important for godliness and everything, but there are certain scriptures... Folks, that we've we've got to anchor some truths on. And this is one of them. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image he created him, male and female, he created them. In Psalm 27, The psalmist David, which I will mention David a couple of times in this sermon. In Psalm 27, David prayed a prayer. Now, you remember in Scripture, David is called a man after God's own heart. Folks, I'll be honest with you. If that's all the Lord ever said about my life, I'll take it as a win. David asked this in Psalm 27, verse 4. One desire, and this I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, and to behold the beauty of the Lord. David wasn't after the things of God. David was after God. The beauty of the Lord. And we know, if you've been around, David did his life completely perfect and never sinned. Folks, this hit me not too long ago. I'm a public school teacher in the state of Washington. Do you know David could not get a license from the state of Washington to stand in front of kiddos? Because he was a murderer. Which means, I can, but he couldn't. And yet he's called a man after God's own? Okay. God must look at things. I'm not, by the way, if you study David, He dealt, he had to deal with the consequences of his sin. And we're going to talk about that. But in his life totality, he was a man after God's own heart. Which means he knew God, he knew how to repent, and he didn't do things perfectly. But at the end of his life, he strove after God. Now, the reason why I started off with Genesis chapter 1 The greatest treasure in the universe. David understood this. So did Jesus. Jesus more so than David because everything Jesus did was for his father. Even went to the cross. Jesus prayed three times, not my will, but I wonder if he prayed three times for each member of the Trinity. I don't know. That's speculation. I wouldn't be surprised. The greatest treasure in the universe is God, period. And Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. He is the greatest treasure. There is no other pursuit that a person can take that is greater than to seek and search for the living God. Everything else is secondary. And may I say, if God is not your number one passion... That might be idolatry. The greatest treasure in the universe is God. And notice what gift did he give to the sons of men and the daughters of men. He made them in his image and Likeness. We have been given such a gift that even the angels long to look. We are made in the image and likeness of the greatest treasure in the, not in the universe, of the entire thing because He made the universe. There is a dignity and a value of each and every one of us. Not because of what we've done, but because what we've been given. And it has nothing to do with our talents. It has nothing to do with our wealth. It has nothing to do with our good looks. It has nothing to do with anything but we were stamped with the image and likeness of God. Wow. That is truth. Sorry, if those of you who don't know me, I'm not angry. I just get passionate. I I have to tell that to my students because the first day, they're like, who is this guy? You know, seriously, seriously. And if you're new, no, no, no. And I have resting, grumpy face. It's it's something I have to deal with, okay? No, no, no. I'm an incredibly nice man. I just, but when I get passionate, I'm passionate about this. Are we all good on that? Okay. That's why sometimes in the classroom, I put a smiley face on my computer so if someone looks at me, I'm doing this, they understand... (laughs) (laughs) All right. The next thing that I want to do is I want to, having said that, I want to move to section two, and I want to talk about the cross before I go to sections three, four, and five. And um, I want to show two images up here. First, we need to understand this image. Let's talk about the technical definition of what sin is. To sin really goes back to a term from archery. It means to miss the bullseye. You've sinned. You didn't do it perfectly. Now, you can miss the bullseye in degrees, can't you? But you still miss the what? You sinned. For whatever reasons, and we'll talk about some of those, you still miss the what? Can we just be honest with ourselves and say, I've missed the mark and I don't know how many times. Would you agree with that? And the missing of the mark is real. We, look, we live in a culture, and we're going to talk about this. We live in a culture that makes excuses for everything, and we no longer understand sometimes the very concept that, no, you've sinned. You broke a law in the universe that came from the very character of God. It's not that you had a bad day and you screwed up. No, you sinned. Can we, look, I'll be the first to admit minute. Chief of sinners up here. But can we be honest with ourselves? We miss the mark. Those of us that have lived long enough, do we have more marks that we carry? We'll talk about that. Now, let's go to the other symbol. Of all the symbols that God could have chosen to represent Jesus Christ and the faith, do you think the God of the universe would be haphazard in letting that symbol come to the forefront? Or do you think he did it by design? The cross is the universal symbol of the faith. Paul said this over and over again. I preach the cross. I'm not ashamed of the cross. To the wise of the world, it's foolishness. But to those who believe, it is the wisdom of God. No other religion, no other philosophy has the cross. And what does the cross say? It says that sin is real. Does that make sense? That sin is what? The offense is what? The crime is what? It's real. real. It doesn't gloss over it. I want to read to you something. And I want to, and bear with me, I want to read to you something as soon as I find it. God's help. Folks, forgiveness without justice is wishful thinking. It demeans the crime. Because what it says is there's there's nothing really to forgive cuz there was nothing wrong. Justice has to be part of the equation. Because if evil is not punished, then goodness means nothing. So what does the cross represent? It represents so many things. It represents the justice of God that evil must be punished. But it's there because of the compassion of God. And when we go to the Lord for forgiveness, we acknowledge to Him, we did it. We did it. Not sugarcoat it. I did that thing. I thought that thing. Whatever. Does that make sense? Don't hide from God. He already knows, He knows everything. You know why in the Christian religion, oftentimes the scripture says confess? It's not that God needs to know what you're confessing, it's that we need to know. Come clean. Just okay. No excuses, no nothing. It's done. But you want to know what happens then? You are forgiven. The penalty was paid. You are now right with God. Which means, and I'm sorry, I'm off script and that's okay. Which means this. You don't need to walk around with any guilt or shame. It's done. You're what? You're forgiven. But I was, I was a young person that did that. You're what? Walk in freedom. But let's not make a mistake here. You must come to the Lord acknowledging the truth. That those things were really done. But by golly, once business is taken at the cross, it's what? It's forgiven. You ready? What you don't have to live with? You don't have to live with the guilt and the shame. Put your head up. Now, however, we live in a cause and effect world, don't we? Do sometimes we have to live with the consequences? But that's not guilt and shame. That's living with what? The consequences. Can I get, can I please hear me on this, okay? I never, because my faith is in Christ, do not have to put my head down and say, God doesn't love me. God won't forgive me. No, I am forgiven because I've gone through the cross. I didn't try to do Christian karma like walk a thousand old ladies across the street to overcome a more. Do you understand that? Because you know what's wrong with Christian karma. We do it. I, I, I'm not the only one that's done it. If I do all these things, that somehow will erase that. No, it's not. No, because no matter how much good you do, it will never unrace what the thing you did do. That doesn't work that way. It's forgiven. And it wasn't because of something you did. It's because of something he did. Hallelujah. I don't have to put my head down and go, oh my gosh, I'm just all you know. No, but might I have to live with the consequences this side of eternity? Folks, do not confuse consequences with guilt and shame. Do not confuse consequences with forgiveness. If I got angry and punched a brick wall and shattered my hand, I may get arthritis later on in life. But I'm still forgiven. And by the way, the consequences, they will all disappear someday too. Are you all listening? Let me tell you something that is true. There's a kingdom coming called the millennial kingdom where our Lord shall reign on this earth for a thousand years. If you're in Christ, you will be in that kingdom with your glorified body. There'll be many people that will be born in that kingdom that need, it'll be almost like a perfect world, not complete, but almost. Almost. And they will be born in a world that does not have the consequences of sin like we have now. You and I are going to be witnesses in that kingdom to teach them that they need Jesus Christ. Because we know the grace that has been given to us. Sometimes God allows us to go through consequences so that we will never forget the penalty of sin and the greatness of grace. I have to live with consequences of foolish, sinful things I did when I was younger. But ladies and gentlemen, I hold my head up high in this pulpit today. And I'm going to talk about even the consequences in just a second. In James 2.8, anybody love the book of James Everybody knows that James is just like, boom, 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 <laughs> He's just like, oh, okay. If, all right. Oh, that, this is being filmed, isn't it? Okay. Um, if you really fulfill, <laughs> if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself, you do well. It is called the royal law. Now, guys, let me just get one thing straight. The Ten Commandments were given to show us we need a Savior. But the, royal, but the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Christianity is not about what you don't do. It's about what you do do, and that's love. And if you truly love, you're just not going to do certain things. Make sense? Now, the royal law, isn't it interesting it's called the what? The royal what? And let's just change law to teaching, the royal teaching, that you love your neighbor as your what? Which implies that you already love God, right? Why is it called the royal law? I don't know, maybe because it came from the king? And I I hate to break this to, to all of us living in America. Look... Our citizenship isn't a monarchy, not a democracy or a republic. Let's get that straight. Our ruler is a king who is perfect. Now, the royal law. So I want to talk about forgiveness. Do you remember the first point I made that we were made in his image in what? Ain't anybody excited about that? Do you know what our kiddos need to hear more than anything in this world? That they're valuable. My gosh, I look at you and I see the image and likeness of my Lord. And when I look in the mirror. Now that's important to remember that. Because I should think in forgiveness that sometimes we forgive others much quicker than we forgive ourselves. I'm going to talk about that in a second. I know. I know because I've been there. Forgiveness towards us is complete if we go to Jesus Christ through the cross. And without sugarcoating, acknowledging our sins, crimes, and declare Jesus as Lord, raised from the dead, and forgiveness is through him alone. Now, if there are some grammatical errors in that, bear with me. Your crimes, my crimes, if we go through Jesus, are forgiven, even if we still have some consequences. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. You are no longer bound by guilt and shame. Hold your head high. I don't feel it. Since when are we so double-minded that we live by our feelings and not by the truth? C.S. Lewis said, faith is the art of holding on to what my reason has once accepted as true, despite our changing moods. Now, let me talk about forgiveness, and this is extremely important. It's a tough question I ask myself. I know I'm taking these off and on, it's just what I do. If I commit a sin, am I sorry because I got caught? See, if that's the case, then there's more work to be done. Or am I sorry that I did those things? And watch this. I'll give you a really good prayer to pray, not word for word, because it's not magic. It's just the heart. Ready? Lord, I did such and such. I still need to be perfected in love. Will you transform me into the creature that no longer desires or wishes to do that? Will you transform me? Change me. Work in me so that that besetting sin or that area is no longer even on my radar. Do you see the difference? If you suffer with addiction and a besetting sin, what you need to start asking God is be honest with what it is and then ask him to change you. What will he begin to do? Oh, he will. He will. How do I know that? Because that's what he does. Now, let's talk about forgiving ourselves. Once we do that and that we're forgiven... We have an enemy that will often accuse us. Satan means the accuser. Fight him with Scripture. Does that make sense? Fight him with what? I will give you one that I use a lot. For me personally. When the Lord says, when, when the enemy says, oh, you really call yourself, you know, Jesus, how could he accept you? Look at this. And then I quote John six thirty-seven. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Jesus, I can't even go to him unless the Father draws me. And if I come to the Lord, he said he would not what? Cast out. Certainly not. you see the emphasis there? The word certainly is a beautiful word. And you fight. Love your neighbor as yourself, the royal law. If we love ourselves, we need to understand something. If Jesus Christ has forgiven you, you are what? Then walk in it. And if you struggle with that, go to the Lord Seek his face and say, Lord, will you fix me? Because it's not that you're forgiving yourself. It's that you're accepting and receiving what God has already done. Does that make sense? Change me. Help me to see. Now I want to move to forgiving others. And I'm going to say here that C.S. Lewis again became very helpful. When we talk about forgiving ourselves or accepting God's forgiveness, have you ever noticed that we like to bring up excuses for ourselves a lot? Have you guys ever noticed that? Or am I the only one? I I was tired. My wife did this. The pizza was cold. My teacher was a jerk. What if I was the teacher? I was a jerk. <laughs> have you ever noticed anybody with me on that? Have you ever noticed that? That we somehow want to minimize through context? Have you ever noticed that we are slow to do the same thing to other people? We're a lot slower to give them the benefit of the doubt. Have you ever noticed that? I have. Scripture is quite clear, folks. Over and over again, we are commanded to what? To forgive. To forgive real things. To let it go. To see the relationship restored. It doesn't mean that we won't have to walk through consequences, but we forgive. How many times do we forgive? Once a day? Twice? Seven? 70 times seven. Look, if someone sins against you 490 times in one day, first of all, you're not with someone that long enough. And second of all, Jesus was being hyperbolic. Say, you what? You forgive. Does that make sense? You don't excuse it. If it's a real thing, you say, I forgive from the heart. Because, can I tell you this real quick? One thing I've learned, you ready, everyone? There's a word that Dr. David taught me that I never really looked at until the last couple of years, and this word is, is, is really good. Have you ever heard of the word Compassion. It's Latin. The word. Does anybody know in here what the word passion means in Latin? We call it the passion of the Christ. Does anybody know what it means? I know it's a sermon. That's usually a rhetorical question. It means suffering. The passion of Jesus was his suffering. He was driven to the cross. Does that make sense? To have compassion is to feel someone's suffering. Folks, we are all people in a fallen world. And in this fallen world, we get hurt. We get bullied. All things happen, betrayed. And when we do sin... Do you understand when we do sin, we hurt ourselves in the process as well? Have compassion on your fellow creature. Forgive them. Pray for them. Don't hold on to it. You're only hurting yourself. Has anybody in here besides me ever kept an offense by somebody and beat them up multiple times in your mind? You're living in bondage. Yes, it's real. Yes, sometimes it's just hard. If it was easy, I wouldn't be talking about it. I'm not going to give a sermon on breathing. Please breathe in. You want to know another sermon I will never give? This is how you tell a lie. We've got that one. I will have to teach a sermon on how to tell the what. Ooh, think of that one for a long time. Forgive each other. Don't hold it into your heart. Would you want to be forgiven? Would you? Love your neighbor as your what? I'm married, and I mentioned my wife earlier. Man, I'll tell you, if my wife did not practice this, mm 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 (laughs) You know why that we're called to be in a body of believers in a church? Why God didn't just send us out to be Lone Rangers? So that you and I could learn to live with each other in community and practice forgiveness and love? So that the world could see the cross among us. And didn't Jesus say, they will know you're my followers if you have what? Love for one another. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not bear records of wrong. In the song, the Revelation song, what did we say that Jesus sat on? The mercy of I want to tell a story that Jesus told to make the point because he always makes points often better. And that is in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came to him, Lord, and, and you, you can, I, I, okay, I'm speculating here, but I think Peter's being a little smug here. Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother? Who sins against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? I'm doing good. I, I think Peter's trying to be like, hey, look at me, I got the right answer. And then Jesus responds, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times what? Okay, you get it? And then Jesus tells this story For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And 10,000 talents would be like a talent I think I read somewhere is like 75 pounds of gold. We're not talking earthly talents. We're talking money here. I don't have 75 pounds of gold. You get the idea it was an exorbitant, unpayable amount. We all clear? Okay. 10,000 talents. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife, children, all that he had, and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. Which is not true, because he could never repay him that much. Do you guys understand that? I don't care how many lifetimes. I don't care if he opened a Chick-fil-A. Even if he opened an In-N-Out burger in Vancouver, Washington, he's not going to make that much money. Okay, moving on. Okay? But that's... Okay, and the Lord... And the Lord of that slave felt what? Compassion. What would I feel like if I was in his shoes? Not only is he going to be thrown in prison, but his wife and what? What would I feel like? And his Lord had what? Compassion. The servant, is he in debt? Did the servant screw it up to get in that much debt? I couldn't imagine. Hang on, I'm... But the slave... Okay, and the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him of his debt. Then asked for repayment, did what? But that slave went out and found another one of his fellow slaves who owed him a 100 denarii, 100 days of wages. That's, you can pay that back. Do you guys understand that? A denarii was about a day's wages for work. You can pay that back over time. Okay. And um, he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what was happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if you do not forgive, forgive his brother from your heart. Is that pretty straightforward? And again, here's the point. We as believers, should we be quick to forgive because of what we've been forgiven? I want to share with you something. I was once asked, by Pastor David a question. This was back at the ministry house when we were meeting in Grass Valley when my commute to church was a lot easier. (laughs) And um, if I didn't go to church, somebody could throw rocks at my window. Buff. Um, (laughs) Pastor David said this to me one time. It was one of those Holy Spirit moments where I I saw something, okay? He looked at me, and he goes, Glenn? who's your worst enemy besides Satan? Does that make sense? Who's your worst enemy? And I said, I don't know. And he goes, I do. What you talking about, Willis? Just seeing if anyone's older than I am. Okay. And he looked at me and he said, your worst enemy is yourself. You have hurt yourself more than anybody could have ever thought of. And he was what? He was right. How can I be mad and not forgive another creature made in the image and likeness of the God I love and not forgive them when I know that they're probably going through things and they've got their own sinful nature and besetting sins and they have never hurt me as much as I've hurt myself. Do you see it? Do you see it? Lord, you have forgiven me all that I've done. I could never pay for it. I could never do anything. Therefore, I will walk in forgiveness as I wear the shoes of the gospel of peace. And I will show that sin is real by forgiveness because forgiveness cannot happen unless there's a real thing to forgive or we're wishy washing it. But Lord, I will forgive because that's what love does. I will have compassion. I will. Not look at my wife as my enemy. I will not look at my children. I will not look at my students. Boy, can I just say one thing? I had to forgive some students over the weekend. Do you think that's ever possible for a teacher? I sat at Starbucks and said, Lord, I forgive. You want to know what next came out of my mouth? For they know not what they want. Isn't that what Jesus said from the cross? Isn't that what Stephen said as he was martyred for the church? As the Pharisees threw rocks, forgive them for they know not what? You see, folks, forgiveness, the offense is real, but the cross is real. And here's, if I gave this sermon a title, and I'm not far from being done, is the seriousness of sin, yes, but the seriousness of forgiveness. I'm free I have a relationship with God oh and I've been forgiven much I want to bring in one more point or two more points God loves reconciliation what is the cross you ready see it the offense is what real right But when the cross is done in the life of a believer and forgiveness is real, ready? Relationship is made right with God and made right with their fellow creatures. And at the center is Christ. Do you think God chose the cross as a symbol for no reason? The cross is that God loves reconciliation. So, if you know someone who has something against you, go and ask for their forgiveness. But wait a minute, what if they don't give it back? That's immaterial. You're not responsible for their actions. You're only responsible for yours. Ask for what? If they don't forgive you, they've got their own issues. Does that make sense? We don't do the right thing based off of the possible reactions of others. We do the right thing because it's the what? What? What do, you want, what do you want to be said by the Lord when you go up to the Bema seat? Well done, good, and what? Faithful. faithful. He didn't say well done, good, and faithful because people responded right to you. He said good and what? Faithful. Forgive. Ask for forgiveness. But you may say, well, what if someone's done something against me and they ask for forgiveness? Give it. It doesn't mean there aren't going to be consequences. But by golly, if they ask for it, give it to them because it's been given to you. And build them up and know that what's at stake here is reconciliation, which is the power of God. The greatest demonstration, one of the greatest demonstrations of the power of God I've ever seen, is when enemies become friends and love each other. Isn't it? Marriages reconciled, children loving their parents, parents loving their children, cats and dogs living together. I mean, you know? <laughs> Folks, the cross brings freedom. You're not guilty. But I did it. Yes, but Jesus took it. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You're free. I walk in it. But I'm angry with so and so. You're punishing yourself with chains of bitterness. Let them go. There are sometimes consequences, aren't there? You know, King David, did he know how to repent? Would you give me, all right, I'm going to pull a David and talk for five more minutes. Okay, by the way, my wife told me to say that. Okay, note to self, remember to put that joke in next, okay. Psalm 51 is the greatest psalm of repentance in Scripture. And in this psalm, David, this is after he murdered Uriah, committed adultery. Are we all clear? Okay. He said this, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Hasid. Lord, be merciful to me, not because I deserve it, but because that's who you are. David appealed to the character of God, and he knew God. according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgression. Don't just cover it, but what? Erase it. The gall of David. He just murdered a dude for his wife and he's asking for forgiveness? Boy, I'll tell you what, that's some—that's uh, courage. <laughs> yeah, seriously, isn't it? He didn't like, oh, I told a fib or a lie. I told a lie, please forgive me. No, I just murdered your... <laughs> And he was king of Israel, and he caused the name of God to be blasphemed by God's enemies because everyone knew what he did. David didn't sin little. He sinned much, and he has the goal to say, God, blot out my transgressions. Man, that's the kind of courage before the throne room I want. And by the way, I will tell you this. David did not. David, you read this psalm, and David constantly said, it's horrible. I never want to do it again. Let me just show you a couple of the highlights. You ready? For I acknowledge my transgression. And my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone have I sinned. That's true. All sin goes against God. And if he can forgive it, so can we. And done evil in your sight. Do you understand he's not just playing games here? Is he, is he whitewashing is he, is he just covering it over? Is he? Not at all. Ready? So that you may be found just. There's the justice when you speak and blameless when you judge. So he's asking God to forgive and God still remain what? Just. How is that possible? The cross. David was saved by the blood of Jesus just like you and are. He looked forward to today. We look, you understand, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. I was born with a sinful, fallen nature. He even said this. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. I looked up hyssop. It was what lepers used to cleanse themselves from the stench of the rotting flesh. David's not mitzy words here. My sin is like leprosy. And what in those days, what did lepers have to say every time they walked around? Unclean! Uncle David knows exactly what he's doing. He's not mincing work. He's being honest with God. You ready? Pretty good, right? Okay, watch this. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I'll be wire and stove. Then watch this request. Now he's asking forgiveness. Watch this. Make me hear joy and gladness. You not only want forgiveness, but you want to feel good again? Man, you've got guts. Hmm, man after God's own heart. Hmm. Ready? The bones that you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out. And then ready? What did I say about what did I say about true, true repentance? You not only say sorry, but you ask to be what? Changed. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Change me. Restore me. And you ready? Here's the good news. Sorry, I can't see. <laughs> Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Man, if you've lost your joy, mm, how do you find it? Dwell on God's grace. Let your, just come before the Lord and say, Lord, I did it. I'm sorry. Change me and get busy on transformation. And by the way, I'm very confident that the Holy Spirit has a very personalized curriculum plan for you through this life. You're all on an IEP. (laughs) In public school speech, that's an individual education plan. We're all on it. The learning targets are the same to turn into creatures of love and grace and mercy and declare Jesus Christ as Lord of the universe. But our way of getting there may be a little bit different because we're on different, we have different life personalities. You get the picture of what I'm trying to say? Hmm? You're all on an IEP. So am I. And the Spirit of God is the only teacher that can truly differentiate. Now, if you're a teacher in the room, you go ahead. Watch this, restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Man, he's appealing to the character of God. Then, ready for verse 13? You ready? Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Fulfilled, because I'm reading his words. last thing I want to say is this. All things work together for those that love God according to his purposes. Do you believe that? That includes what's been done against us. You know me. And I talk about my life sometimes, not because I'm fixated on myself. And if I am, Lord, help me to repent from that. But I can only speak from my experience with any kind of authority. On my journey. I grew up without a father. I watched kids play ball with their dads. I grew up without a father. That was the result of somebody else's sin. Do you understand that? Did I have to live through the consequences of that? I tell you the truth. It is because of that. That that I desire to know my Father in heaven. That which the enemy meant to break me has driven me towards God. God took the sin of somebody else and worked it to redemption. That's how powerful he is. Do you honestly think anything's been done to you that God's not going to turn towards your benefit Why? Because as you go through your story, you're the one that's going to relate to other people. This morning, I was reminded of an Eva Cassidy song, and I want to close by doing this, and then um, we're going to do communion. And I want to read this to you. And I love these words. I am a poor wayfaring stranger while journeying through this world of woe. Yea, and there's no sickness, toil, nor danger in that bright land to which I go. I'm going there to see my father. I'm going there no more to roam. I'm going over Jordan. I'm going over home. I want to wear that crown of glory when I get home to that good land. Well, I want to shout save salvation story in concert with the blood washed band. I'm going there to see my savior. I'm going there no more to Rome. I'm going over Jordan. I'm going home. I'm going home. Let us walk in forgiveness that we've received and let us forgive each other. Let's let the world know that forgiveness is real because the offenses are real, but the forgiveness is real. Let them see the cross. If you need to confess and repent, do so. Why are you waiting? Don't forget to say, Lord, change me and transform me. Because I will tell you this. The more he transformed you, the more you know what the joy of salvation is, because not only are you forgiven, but he's changing you in such a creature that you're no longer bound in fear, guilt, and shame.